There was nothing else at all in the whole world but football. Hi and welcome to the Triple F for another episode of the Triple F Show. Matt and I recorded a show last night covering this week's Champions League games, the Classica, Inter Milan's alarming situation with their Chinese ownership, and a little update on how four former Ajax superstars are getting on. Hope you guys enjoy and thanks again for listening to the Triple F. The Champions League games. Um, I suppose there's no better place to start than um, the Juve Porto game because that I. I'm sure you're in agreement on this, but it's pretty much the most thrilling. There were a couple of thrilling Champions League games, but that Juve Porto won a 4-4 Porto win on away goals. What a what a absolute banger that was! Absolutely. I mean, you're saying that was more thrilling than the six-seven minute wait for VAR for Dortmund <laughs> <laughs> just after the second half. I mean, oh, hell, we'll get on to that. We'll get yeah, on to yeah, that. Yeah, we yeah, we will. We will. <laughs> Juventus Porto though, that, what a game! That was yeah. just incredible. That second half and beyond into extra time, absolutely loved it. I couldn't, I couldn't tear my eyes away from it. It was um, proper end-to-end stuff, and yeah, yeah, turn up for the books. I wasn't expecting it, but um, to an extent, Juventus had it coming. The way they laid them, laid their store out, it was um, mm. almost inevitable. Um, as, as soon as that game plan sort of started to take shape a little bit from Juve, so yeah, I was uh, I was impressed with Porto's performance. Yeah, because I think with that sending off for Porto and those goals from Chiesa, I, I, Juve must have thought they had it in the bag, and then Porto's heads were expected by everybody to drop, but they didn't, and then Juve sort of most likely got complacent after that, and I think that's where Porto really capitalised on it. Um, and, you know, I touched on it on Twitter and I'm not sure if you saw my reply to your tweet, but having a, a, a human draft excluder in a wall <laughs> yeah. is, it looks ridiculous, but um, it is effective. And I think yeah. Juve paid the price of not having a human draft excluder in their wall. Yeah, it goes deeper than that, though, with that wall yeah. set up and, and the communication, yeah. everything with that was just all wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that does point to a larger issue with Juventus in that mm. they are too over reliant on on Ronaldo for that. So mm. there was a huge gaping gap. Even you could fit another man in in that wall, um, mm. let alone the the jump that Ronaldo had there. Mm. Um, so yeah, it, it was just a poor setup, a poor defensive formation. There should have Suchesny should have done more to to organise that really. But then how do you? then instructs Ronaldo on what to do. Can you ever tell him what to do? Mm. Maybe that's part of the problem that you can't. He's too big a player to instruct, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think, um, yes, like I said, that that you know, not having that player um, laying down on the ground um, is, mm. you know, it, is essentially an issue. But the, the bigger issues lie in the fact that, yes, Ronaldo turning his back on the shot, awful the other defenders in the wall jumping and just sort of not doing enough. The, the fact that, like you said, not enough defenders in that wall to begin with. And then Chesney sort of getting a salad hand on yeah. the ball. The thing is with Chesney, he he should have anticipated that the ball, that, you know, that the ball was going to go into that area. And he obviously mm. didn't. And it was, yeah, it was just an absolute shit show defensively. 
um yeah it was shocking yeah it really was it really was and i just i can't understand that that performance really from juve um it, it was disjointed a little bit i think um communication was lacking there was one point i remember with um weston mckenney he was he was literally had the entire sort of final third of uh, space to run into they just passed it sideways to juventus they didn't see the opportunity there so they didn't have the vision in order to, in order to to execute um yeah. that attack and, and it would have, he would have been cleaned through he's absolutely rapid yeah. he would have he would have been one-on-one if, if the ball had been played and it wasn't mm. it wasn't seen and, and his exasperation throwing his hands up in the air i don't think it was particularly caught on the commentary or anything but you could see it in the top of the pitch that he really, really was frustrated. And and maybe that does point to a larger issue, like I was saying, with that wall, um, with that communication. It's, um, yeah, it's too disjointed to mm. really form an effective team. Do you think it sort of highlights the deficiencies in Pirlo's management, essentially? Um, in the way that, you know, defensively, obviously Allegri... You would not have seen anything like that. I don't. I personally, I don't think you would have seen anything like that in an Allegri setup to a Juve team. That, no, I don't think so. Yeah, I agree with you there. I, I, I think Perlo's, um He is inexperienced. Mm. You know, he was only a manager of a youth team for about a week or something. So um, that was uh, pretty inexperienced beyond the occasional um, social media post and, and uh, photo shoot. So what? What did he really? bring to the table in terms of management compared to to Allegri I, I doubt there was really much um it just doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense that Juventus have now fallen back and and sort of retrenched and 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 had no progress whatsoever in the last few years and so why um the owner thought that they could have any kind of success with with Perlo um above allegri just baffles me it was a really strange decision for me um, mm. yeah, yeah it, it was an odd appointment but um ah, that's that's essentially that's the um decision that juve have made now and it doesn't look as if they've got any other options in place if they were to sort of cut loose with Pirlo. so um it looks like they're just going to have to stick with that decision for now unless things go horribly wrong because they're still sort of in an in and thereabouts with um with sort of proceedings in Serie A. But um I yeah. think yeah, I think I think this exit in the Champions League, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, maybe, you know, to sort of contradict myself, maybe, yeah, maybe this is too much damage. Uh, and possibly the powers that be at Juve are thinking of a of a new appointment. I think they always are. I think there's always going to be an eye for a new a new appointment with with Juventus. It's that mm. kind of manager managerial merry-go-round that there always seems to be. It's almost um, what we talked about with Chelsea last week, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, to a degree. And I think um, Allegri was given that dreaded vote of confidence um, after their Champions League exit last season. Mm. Look what happened. You know, it's um, yeah. it, it's going to be the same again. I think with Perlo, where whether or not he has a little bit more. Um, I don't know, a bit more of a, an investment in the, in the club. Yeah, yeah, credit in the bank. That's a good way of, of putting it, I think, maybe. Um, so so we'll see, we'll see. Mm. 
Right, we touched on it earlier, uh, the Dortmund-Sevilla game. <laughs> a game slightly overshadowed, uh, overshadowed by terrible officiating, shall we say. Mm. That was... It, it wasn't necessarily terrible officiating in that, you know, the decisions were probably reasonable. Mm. Um, it's just the time it took. It was over yeah. six minutes. I timed it. And it was it, between each goal going in, it was about six minutes um, and 15 seconds or something stupid. So it, it's mad. So Haaland scored initially. Mm. That was ruled out for a foul. Then VAR brought it back for that penalty which in fairness was a penalty, but then the penalty was taken, keeper was off his line, <laughs> which was completely ridiculous. He could have mm. saved it if he'd have stayed on his line. And then it was taken again, having mm. already Sevilla had an attack in, in the meantime. It was yeah. it was just maddening, really. I mean, if the technology's there, it needs to be a lot quicker than that. It was um, far too, far too slow. Yeah. Um, it should have really been a lot more efficient than, than what it was, but it was mm. entertaining to watch. I mean, it, I wouldn't have liked to have been there in the ground, but um, mm. certainly watching it on telly was, was funny watching uh, with the commentary as well. But uh, yeah, yeah. A mad, a mad game really. Yeah. I wouldn't have liked to have been a severe fan and Robert, I, my heart goes out to you because oh. that must, that must have been, um, yeah, must've been horrible to endure. Mm. But um, it's also almost annoying that Harlan's, um, first goal. I know. Would it have been the second goal? I don't know. Anyway, that goal that was cancelled out before he had to take the penalty, that goal was incredible. The one where he was sort of, it was almost like he was right on the edge of the six yard box, about to go out, but he sort of, I don't know, he, he sort of flung a foot out at it and spun at the same time and the ball just sort of went into the top corner beyond Bono. It was um it's quite incredible. And then yeah, it was absolutely disappointing that it was all sort of ruled out. Then he had to take a penalty for it. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was. I think if he was a smaller player, it might not have um, been ruled out because Haaland looked so massive against that defender. Yeah. He, he he sort of looks as if he's been wrestled to the ground. So mm. it was unfortunate. But yeah, the 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 stab at the ball that went through the smallest of gaps mm. really was quite, you know, it's a mark of the man. Um, and yeah. again, what, what is it now? Is it 14 goals in, uh, no, 20 goals in 14 games rather. Yeah. So the quickest to, uh, to 20 goals in the Champions League, that's some record. Yeah. Really yeah. is. The guy's inhuman. He really is. Mm. Um, Messi's rocket of a goal. I mean, we don't usually see that type of goal from Messi. So that was, yeah, that was quite, quite impressive. It really was, wasn't it? What something like thirty odd yards, just yeah, an absolute rocket of a shot. It was, um, it was just a, an incredible goal. So I definitely urge you to go and, and check that out if if you've not watched it yet. So mm. yeah, it was um, the sort of dying embers of a bit of a dynasty there. Um, mm. But yeah, it was nice to see. You know, he's still got it. So yeah, he's having a good season on on the you know goals front, isn't he? So yeah, yeah nice to see. Was that Messi possibly? you know, sort of advertising his um, abilities for his potential suitor. <laughs> I don't think he needs to advertise anything. No, no I that's think, true. Um, people, people are well aware. Um, advertising it firsthand, shall we say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, advertising the fact that he's still got it, maybe, I don't know, mm. um, that he's still got something to offer. 
he, he's got another good few years in him um, at the top level. Whether mm. or not that stays at Barcelona is is up for debate with their um, leadership struggle that they seem to seem to be having at the moment. Mm. And we'll we'll see what happens with that one. So that'll, that'll come out in the wash, I would imagine. Certainly, one of them. I can't remember which one it is for the presidency. Is is campaigning on a on a platform of keeping Messi within the club. Mm. So, you know, it it could be that he, he finishes his career there. So, it's, we'll see. Yeah, as far as I'm aware, I think Juan Laporta has actually won the the presidential race. So he is. Oh, actually, is it already? Yeah, I've yeah. not been there keeping track of it. Yeah. Yeah, so he is actually the president. So I think he was the president at the time of the sort of. Pep Guardiola reign so whether we'll see any sort of return to those days is you know it's unlikely but yeah we never know mm, yeah yeah we'll see we'll see on that one something needs to change with Barcelona certainly in the finances and the stability of the club so yeah, mm. hopefully it, you know it works out a little bit better in there than it mm. has done in, the, in recent months yeah, but I, I would say, you know, I think a couple of months ago with Barca, it did look as if things were uh, just absolutely terrible and abysmal. But now, um, the, you know, the last sort of run of games, barring the, you know, last night's Champions League match, they're sort of running La Liga. It's been it's been pretty promising. And there's a few sort of um, glimmering hopes, shall we say. You've got the likes of De Jong, who's a phenomenal footballer, Pedri, this young, incredible talent that's coming through. Um, and then you've got, you know, you likes of Ansu Fati. I know he's been injured, but what a promising talent he is. And then likes of Araujo and, and stuff. So they've definitely got a great future ahead of him. And I think with Koeman as well, if they stick with him, I think he's the, the right manager to take them through to a new regime, shall we say. Yeah, yeah, potentially. It's... Um... It does go a lot deeper, though. I mean, on the pitch, you can't argue with the fact that Barcelona are a quality side and they've got some good young talent. So they are building for the next generation, for Messi to hand over the mantle. But underneath all that, there is hundreds of millions of euros of debt, which is really going to have an impact on any recruitment they're going to have to make eventually. Um and, and the stability of a club is really going to struggle on that front. So something needs to change. The, the ship does need writing um, behind the scenes. Yeah. Me. Yeah. Liverpool, do you think they'll get a boost from the Champions League win? I think inevitably. I think it worked really well for them um, yesterday. So it was it was a real shock for everybody. I think everybody concerned that um, they lost against Fulham. Um, at the weekend and, and they've had a, a horrendous run of form um, we talked about it last you know it was six games in a row they've lost at home yeah. which was um, arrested by, by that 2-0 win against Leipzig so it was promising you know they, they rested the players that they needed to um, against against Fulham so that was I think a sign that they potentially are, have, have just sort of given up the ghost on the league potentially so Leipzig they they put in a decent performance, let's say. Fabinho dropped back. It was um, more of a case of experience over, over young um, young heads, really, for, for that move with, with Fabinho in, in the back four. So it worked really well for them. And, and attacking, they, they proved quite useful again. So, yeah, if, if they can replicate that moving forward, then the Champions League could be a, a potential option for them. But 
they've just lacking that strength and depth, which worries me a little bit for that front. Mm. I put a tweet out yesterday saying how European giants will always remain European giants, even though Liverpool are having this absolute dreadful run of things in the Premier League. It's possible they could win the Champions League. I know it might be a bit far-fetched to say, given the the sort of injury problems and all the other problems they've got off the field, you can't write them off. I, I don't think you can. Um, it's unlikely, though. I think mm. they do need a lot more strength in terms of, um, obviously, defence. We've spoken about that before. They don't have that um, top-class, world-class quality that they do need to, to be able to, to make a decent run at the Champions League. Unlike, say, Man City, who have really shown that their defence is, is proving almost un, un, unbeatable. Um, so it's going to be a big surprise for me if Liverpool do go beyond the next round, I, I would have thought. Um, it, it'll be a real shock for me. I don't think they've really got it in him. But, you know, it's the competition that they're mm. going to really push for this season now. So at least they're going to make an effort, I would have thought. It's cup football, Matt. Come on, anything can happen. You know it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I know that all too well as a United fan. You know, in the Champions yeah. League, so it um, it could happen. It could happen. Yeah. Klopp knows the competition inside and out. He knows what what's needed. So if he can get a tune out of this team, then potentially they could be the first team to win the Champions League and get relegated. It would, uh, <laughs> obviously, I say tongue firmly in cheek. If you're interested in coming on the show for an Under the Floodlight special to talk about your favourite player or manager, please email the thetriplef2021 at gmail.com or DM the thetriplef84 on Twitter. All contact details will be in the episode description. Hope you're all keeping safe and thanks again for listening to the Triple F. The Classica, Matt, we obviously wanted to talk about that um, during the last podcast, but um, didn't have time. Mm. Or just just sort of passed our minds, but um, yeah, what a what a match that was! It it was crazy, wasn't it? Four um, two in the end, and and it was a sort of clash of the titans um, with Lewandowski and, and Haaland there. So mm. defensively for both sides, I would say I think it's fair to say it was a real poor performance. Mm. Um, you know, nobody's getting in team of the season with that performance. No four two, it was just end to end. You know, you have a shot, I have a shot. And it was it was bizarre, really. For a top-class couple of teams, you'd imagine defensively they would have set their stall out a little bit um, a little bit firmer against top-class, top-world-class strikers in, in Haaland and Lewandowski. But it was all about them. They stole the show, wasn't it? They stole the yeah. headlines. And, and it was remarkable to mm. sort of see such amazing players on, on show, really. Yeah. It really was. It was surprising to see Haaland feature against Sevilla because um, that mark or whatever it was, slash in the side of his ankle, I don't know if you saw that. There was a big close-up of Haaland when he came off. I think, did he come off at half-time or he came off maybe at the start of the second half? But um, he mm. had this major gash on his ankle and I thought that's going to rule you out for the Champions League game. But it just goes to show, like I said, the guy is inhuman. Um, and he yeah. <laughs> ended up playing because it, it was only three days after as well the severe game. So it's it's just mental to think how how just uh, yeah inhuman. I, I hate to keep sort of repeating myself, but the guy <laughs> guy is <laughs> he is. It's like you know he's 
Terminator is just going to heal. Yeah. He's, he's sort of made out of that metal, that liquid metal yeah. that just heals straight away, potentially. Yeah. But um, yeah, he's he's too good a player, I think, to skip the the opportunity to play in the Champions League. And I don't think he'd give, he'd pass up the opportunity to to do so, especially mm. with, when he's on such a, a rich vein of form when it comes to the Champions League. In terms of that Der Classic, it was um, pretty much to form, wasn't it? I think and and. It, it was interesting to see Terzic with such a nervous such an amount of nervous energy. It was almost Bielsa like pacing the the touchline there. But whereas Bielsa has an element of control, I think Terzic was mm. a, a little bit nervous, a little bit too um I don't know, it, his emotions were showing a little bit there. So Do you know what Terzic yeah. needs? What's he needs, that? He needs a big bucket like Bielsa. That might come. He does, not he? <laughs> yeah, sit yourself down, son. Yeah, sit yourself down and just chill out a little bit. But, um, yeah, he doesn't quite look the part, does he, with his snapback cap and, and he looks a bit trendy for a, a top-flight yeah. manager, but, yeah. 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 No, we'll see. Maybe he can turn things around and um, prove himself to be a, a better manager than he kind of is at the moment. He's freed of the expectations, isn't he, now? He's, you know, he's... It, it, he knows he's not going to last the season, obviously, because there's a new a new guy coming in, and and mm. maybe he's just he just does have that freedom now that he can make a, a stab at the Champions League and show some strength in in the league as well. So mm. maybe maybe the close season might be a, a bit of a boost for him. Yeah, are you aware of what he's going to do when Rosa comes in? Is he going to you know step down and sort of go back to his original role, or what's happening with him there? I'm not sure. I haven't heard, or at least I've not looked into it. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting. I don't think he'll be short of a, a few offers. I think he's he's young enough, he's vibrant enough, he's, he's motivated, he's got that enthusiasm, like I say. So, mm. I think any club will be will be a decent move for him, really, in that top flight. I don't think anybody's going to turn him down necessarily. Mm. Um, but he does need to, you know, drop down a level and, and then prove himself a little bit. I think. Yeah, he is very much the sort of typical. Um, appointment of manager that you see in in the Bundesliga. So maybe you know, like you say, any other club in the Bundesliga would would be willing to give him an opportunity and give him a chance. And um, I'd like to see it. Yeah, yeah, it seems like a nice chap. You know, he seems like he, he deserves another try. So um, yeah, fingers crossed for the lad. Mm-hmm. Right, Matt. So um, the Inter Milan Chinese ownership. I'd like you to sort of tell me. About this as yeah. much as possible because um, I've had a little read about this myself, but I feel absolutely none the wiser for doing so. Um, perhaps that has more to say about me than, than anything else. But if you could please sort of educate me as to, to what is happening at Inter Milan with their Chinese ownership. Yeah, it's a bizarre one. We spoke about it at the end of the of the the, the podcast, the record last time, and and it's a bizarre one that really caught my eye. I think a couple of weeks ago that um, the owners of Inter Milan who at least have a controlling stake in Inter Milan owned a Chinese Super League club Mm. um, called uh, Jiangsu um, FC they they were called Jiangsu Sunning Mm -hmm. um, but the Chinese government asked them to to remove that name because they they didn't want to um, they wanted to appear a bit more um, professional, a bit more attractive as a football proposition. So they removed the, the corporate sponsorship in the name. So they, they were renamed Jiangsu. And so they they were owned by uh, Sunning, who are a massive conglomerate. They they own hundreds of millions of, of, of supermarkets and, and shops and, and various things, but they've also got the, the fingers in all manner of different pies, whether it's media, TV, 
um, anything like that really transport. So they're they're one of the biggest companies in China, but they've been really struggling of late. In the last three years, I think the share price has dropped massively. So they were really struggling to to prop up a club that was um, draining a lot of money. So eventually, they they approached a, a, a Chinese entrepreneur. Um, what's he called? Jack Ma, he's called. And I don't know if you really remember the news at the time, but he kind of disappeared from sight in China from the public eye. He was quite a, um, a gregarious character. He was quite a, quite a character, which I don't necessarily think worked well in partnership with the Chinese government. Mm. Um, they're not historically the most, um, I don't know, uh, forgiving of, of government, shall we say? <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to criticize them too much, you know, given our government, but yeah, they, they really cracked down on this chap, this Jack Ma, he was called, and mm. he, um, he disappeared from sight, literally disappeared. Nobody knew where he went. So he's since reappeared. Mm-hmm. Um, he's certainly a little quieter, a little bit more reserved. So I don't know if he's been to some kind of <laughs> re-education camp or something <laughs> like that, shall we say. Um, but yeah, they approached him for some money. Um, it was going well, but they had a disagreement, a falling out and, and ended up, um, that deal went, you know, fell through. So they, they struggled a little bit and then they approached it, the Chinese government for state support, which was provided. But then China as a government decided that football and investing in football um, wasn't the, the way to go. So they've, they sent, they won the league three months ago, they won the Chinese super league. So, you know, they, they were a, um, one of the biggest clubs in, in China, but um yeah, they decided that any kind of um, investment in in football and all these clubs were was a luxury that that couldn't be afforded. So they decided to um, disband the entire club, which was incredible for a, a championship winning side to be completely disbanded, and yeah. and the club erased from history. It's bizarre. So what? Whilst that might be something that. Um, you know, it might. It's not uncommon in China. That's happened before. Some clubs have um, come and gone. They've. they've um, it's not the first, and it probably won't be the last club in China to do that. But what it does, it has wider implications for, say, the European um, clubs as well. Obviously, for transfer market, that you know, a lot of value's been taken out of the the market recently, and this hasn't helped. So, sunning own into Milan in terms right. of a controlling stake. Which mm-hmm. is where it comes sort of affects us and and us European football fans and and that's really going to have a, an impact in in how Inter Milan are run. I mean, Atletico Madrid, for instance, they had a Chinese owner who pulled out. Um, again, the Chinese government said that any money spent in in Europe on football should be pulled back. It shouldn't be spent abroad, mm. which has obviously implications for the ownership of Inter Milan. So. It's going to be an interesting few months now, especially with COVID. Inter Milan are taking, uh, forgive me for just looking at some some notes there, but they earn 60 million euros a match at home, which is a huge amount of money. Um, and obviously that's no longer there. That income stream is no longer there. So they're losing hundreds of millions um, this season on that. Sky Italia, who are responsible for broadcasting the games in Italy, have pulled back and with they've withholded um oh i can't remember the figure exactly but they've um they're withholding a lot of money um for the for the payment of the mm. 
broadcast of the games as well. So they're losing TV revenue. And so so where that money comes from is is going to be the next issue. I think they, they are looking for reinvestment and, and investment partners, as they sort of euphemistically term it. Right. Essentially, they're wanting rid of their controlling stake. So what's going to happen is they're going to be selling the club for... I would imagine what they want is somewhere north of 700 million euros. Whether or not that is an achievable figure in today's market is is up for question. Mm. I would be surprised if anybody wants to pay that kind of money. Yeah, me too. You know, commercially as well, they've lost their sponsorship shirt sponsorship. So that kind of shows that companies don't necessarily want to get into bed with that. Um, they don't see the value in, in the club anymore, but... Then again, if COVID wasn't an issue and and clubs could generate income, then potentially it could be a wise investment. You know, Inter Milan are a big side. Oh yeah. You know, they're they're a bit of a, sort of a historically a bit of a basket place of a club. You know, they were up and down. They were ownership issues and everything like that. Didn't really have any consistent level of um of stability so if somebody can come in and, mm. and pay that money invest that money then potentially they're onto a winner there but it's whether or not finding somebody willing to stump up north of 700 800 million euros close to a billion mm. um it's going to be the issue so it's going to be a real interesting few months for inter milan despite the fact that their their domestic success is is doing really well at the minute. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. But, yeah, it's a, a real interesting case mm. um, to keep an eye on, um, which would have – it's just a shock, you know, how it all kind of connects around this this sort of global industry, um, mm-hmm. which never used to be the case anyway, not in my day. But yeah, Are we potentially seeing then – is this what we're witnessing? Are we witnessing the glass ceiling of football starting to break? Um, yeah, yeah, I think so. I think mm. um, the money's just not there now. If if somebody wants to, um, you know, invest that kind of money in a, in a club that historically hasn't been the most stable, historically hasn't been, you know, the the, the easiest to get on with, then it, it'll be a real gamble for me to, you know, to to. Act confidently say that somebody will will come in for it i can't imagine who would do you know there have been investment firms that have looked um private equity firms that have looked at at buying the club but just haven't made Mm. the move they just don't see the value in it so um yeah they they really are gonna gonna struggle in the next few years and i don't think they're not gonna have the the investment from sunning Uh, that's gonna dry up a little bit i would have thought Mm. i don't think um if they're really struggling financially in, in China, you know, are they going to really sanction another 350 million euro spend in the last five years? Are they going to replicate that? It's going to be doubtful. So yeah, it's, um, they're either really going to struggle in the next few years or somebody's going to come in and rescue them. What, what kind of punishments would um, Inter Milan be looking at then if, if they, they're not able to sort of secure um, stable ownership? I think um, I think for now, I think for the for the next couple of seasons, they will be safe. I don't think they're going to pull out completely, but I just don't think they're necessarily going to continue the level of investment that they have done. So their their punishment, as it were, is going to be 
in their league form. You know, they're mm. not going to be able to back up the squad. They're not going to be able to continue to pay the likes of, of Lukaku right. the kind of wages that they're expecting. Mm. You know, um, management-wise, it's going to be difficult to, to justify that that salary of 11 million euros. Um, for Conte, that's a huge amount of money for, for a manager in Italy. That's probably, I think it is the biggest salary going. Um, Spalletti, he had a, a golden wave of, of about 26 million euros. So he was told to, to bugger off and, and given 26 million euros for the privilege. So, mm. you know, it's um, not exactly the, the wisest spending of money at the moment. And, mm. and they're not going to be able to continue that. They can't justify it. Not when the company is really hemorrhaging losses um, domestically. So mm. yeah, it'll um, it'll definitely be uh, cutbacks, and and they'll be, you know, potentially not not going to be able to challenge again. I don't think. Do you think the uh, the sort of likelihood? Because it does. I mean, they're are they five points ahead um, in the Serie A of um, AC Milan? Is is there any chance that the the sort of the likely winning of Serie A will, will sort of help in, in, in any way? I, it'll be hard to argue otherwise. It's, um, you know, we talk about uh, advertising your wares in the window and that's going to be the biggest advertisement you can get. So mm. they've got potential. The next step for Inter Milan naturally would be Europe. So if they can kick on a little bit in that, then yeah, it could be that they, they do enough to, to make themselves attractive. To, to a proposition so yeah it's it would be in ordinary circumstances it would be a good investment to make because they they've got that growth um potential you know that commercially um they, they haven't invested as much as they could do so you know there's, there's potential for growth there off the field as well as on the field so if things do start to get back to normal then we might see a different story altogether Potentially, I might be paint, painting too drastic a picture, but you know, it, it, it was something that really caught my eye, and I thought it's it's so unusual that it can't not have a knock-on effect on Inter Milan. So perhaps they might be shielded somewhat, a little bit, and, and protected from um, any great losses. But you can't sustain the level of losses that Sunning in China have without it having a knock-on effect on their investments on their companies, because to them, they are just another company, aren't they? realistically so it could be that they're the ones to to take the hit on on the wider issues that they face so yeah it's got some quite big implications for, for football worldwide i think if you're enjoying the triple f show then you might enjoy our other podcasts the magic of is a show which profiles special clubs from all over the world to find out about their history culture and fan base under the floodlights invites fans to talk about their favorite players and managers and the triple f cinema is where guests and i review weird and wacky football films ajax superstars i was going to call it the ajax wonder kids but um Considering Hakim Ziyech about twenty-seven, be a bit, um, yeah, be a bit unfair to sort of call him a kid. Um, I've I've got a name for the the superstars, shall we say? So bear mm. with me on this and tell me if you like it. But I've called them the four horsemen of the Ajaxalips. You you might have to go back to the drawing board with that one for me. I'm afraid, Simon. <laughs> uh, well, I worked really hard on it, mind you. Ajaxalips does sound like something on a, a menu that you would um, definitely avoid if you were in a foreign country, shall we say. 
<laughs> yeah, um, I'm trying to think of a pun now. Uh, <laughs> cleaning up with Ajax, maybe. I don't know. Ajax is a cleaning product. Yeah. Um, probably, that's but we'll probably, see. Yeah, that's probably better than my one, but um, I, might, <laughs> I might give it a go. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to talk about those guys. Um, Hakim Ziyech is now at Chelsea, Matthias De Ligt at Juve, Frankie de Jong at Barcelona and Donny van der Beek at Man United. Obviously, they all made such a huge impression in the Champions League in 2019. Obviously, in mm. those exhilarating upsets against Real Madrid and Juventus and that classic against Spurs in the semis. Um, you know, Ajax essentially have always been a selling team, so it was a little shock to see them leave. But um, I just wanted to see how they were getting on and, and just sort of ask you out of the four um, who you think is getting on the best and, and who you think is potentially struggling the most. Uh, struggling the most, I think um, it's natural that I would be more aware, obviously, of Ziyech and, and Johnny van der Beek. I think, um, obviously, as, as English, um, as, as playing for English clubs and imports into the Premier League, it's been it must have been a real culture shock for them to to come from where they came from. So, for instance, Ziyech, he's really struggled this season, really struggled. I expected big things from him. I thought, um, you know, he was a, a pretty early selection for me, for instance, on the fantasy football. I thought he might um, do some business for me, but um, just hasn't hasn't done the, done the business at all for Chelsea and really struggled since Tuchel's come on as well. I don't think he's really done much there. No. Um, if if even been selected as well. So that's the issue for him. Um, and what needs to be said about Donny van der Beek and his experience at United, it's been yeah. shocking. Mm. You, you spoke in the intro there of, of that uh, performance against Tottenham, for instance. He scored the only goal there. Absolutely dominated um, most, if not all, of that competition for Ajax. He had a better goal ratio than Fernandez. Um, if you discount all the penalties that he, that he takes, <laughs> um, he was a real exciting proposition. I think of those four. I think I was as a United fan, I was really excited to see him um, play and play regularly. It's just he hasn't had that um, opportunity to to even put a string of games together. I, d I don't know. <sighs> what's really happened there. But I mean, can you argue with the decision not to play and given that United are playing mm. to a reasonably high standard with a pretty good midfield and, and strike force there. So difficult to argue with Solskjaer, um, yeah, given but, that he's having such success. But then it begs the question, what was the point of buying Donny van der Beek? I mean, it, it just... It does beg a belief, really. I mean, what is the point? But then at the time, I think the the strength and depth was a real um, factor in, in that purchase. So I think Solskjaer really did envisage um, more rotation, a little bit more um, of a frequent gameplay there. So it's um, just, just bizarre. I mean, after that Madrid game, he just ran riot against Real Madrid, for God's sake. And mm -hmm. you expected him to then... To, to pitch up at United, pitch up at Old Trafford and, and do the same it just hasn't happened for him. I don't yeah. know what's going on behind the scenes. Potentially there's an issue there, but we've all seen the scenes of him sat in the stands just looking absolutely yeah. miserable. Yeah, you just um, want to give him a hug. 
you do you do but i mean how miserable are you going to be really when you're mm. earning 100 grand a week yeah, it's... not too bad no <laughs> <laughs> um we talked about sort of building projects before last week um i mean is there is there a case for the fact that man united are essentially um expecting pogba to leave because pogba uh, although you know the sort of transfer talk is sort of quiet quietened down at the moment um there's always the possibility that pogba will go um there's always you know i think pogba's come out and said it in numerous um sort of public statements that he wants to go to a bigger club so with that possibility of pogba going is this is it is there a potential sort of replacement for donny van der Beek there could he be pogba's uh, stand in shall we say if he were to leave yeah i think so i think um i think that was the idea at least anyway wasn't it i think um pogba's never going to be that uh career footballer that you can really count on i think um i think it was obvious that he's he's been distracted his attention's been moved elsewhere so whether it's a return to juve or back to france with psg i don't know um but he's not going to stay beyond the season i wouldn't have thought not if his agent has anything to do with it so yeah potentially van der Beek could step into that role that like i say it was the intention i think looking at it that similar styles of play i guess but whether or not van der Beek has what it takes to do that pogba mm. has you know regardless of of sporadic runs of form he is a a pretty big player for United. So can Van der Beek fill those shoes? I, I don't think it's been proven yet. I don't think he's had a chance to prove it, but it's certainly not been proven, which is going to be really important when making that decision. Yeah, yeah. So where you mentioned um, Donny van der Beek kind of suffering because Man United have too many sort of players in that position, is Hakim Ziyech suffering from the same thing in the fact in the sense that Chelsea have too many similar players of his sort of you know that winger sort of central attacking role because you've got the likes of Kai Havertz and then Christian Pulisic I don't think Christian Pulisic is favoured as much as as Tuchel but then you've got Mason Mount and um, sort of similar players that are always going to be favoured more than than the likes of Hakim Ziyech or, or Pulisic is, is Ziyech sort of suffering from that do you reckon as well? It, he's got to be, surely. I think that, like you say, I think there's a similar situation at Chelsea as there is, a, is with Van der Beek and United. There are um, a whole host of different um, different players vying for a very similar position than, that, that Ziyech occupies in that attacking mould. So it's got to have an impact, hasn't it? I think uh, Pulisic has really grown recently in, in recent seasons. Um, I think he's he's got to be pushing on the door really for a, for a starting berth um but at the same time it's not been a chelsea team that has succeeded much this season so it's not really a, a necessarily fair proving ground um shall we say so potentially he may start to come into his own a little bit um as the team do find a little bit more success so maybe it's unfair you know uh, an unfair assumption that he's not really doing it but um mm. yeah i think the jury's still out on ziak i think he's got a little bit more uh favor in the bank shall we say um a little bit more patience from from people may may prove right really yeah yeah 
Well, let's see. So we've talked about the two um, four horsemen <laughs> that are sort of struggling the most. Now let's to look at the two that are um, the other two that are doing incredibly well. Uh, let's start with Matthias De Ligt. Um, he's played 61 games, um, four goals and one assist, which is incredible for a centre-back. Uh, that's better than Ziyech and Van der Beek, who are essentially attacking midfielders. Um, he's really obviously one for their future, and it was a great choice for him, in my opinion, to go to Juventus. A young, potential, world-class defender to sort of own his craft at Juve under the tutelage of Chiellini and co. Um, was essentially a no-brainer, and I just think Juve, they kind of see him as the future of their club defensively. Yeah, that's that has to be the case. Um, Juve have to be on a bit of a rebuilding project, um, certainly after this week um, and their recent exit from from Europe. It has to be a rebuilding project based around the likes of Delict. I think um, he's uh, one of the uh, world's biggest prospects for for that um, defensive position there. So they need to as harsh as it may be, they need to get rid of Ronaldo and they need to to have more of a team ethic because that is too top heavy, that team. That that club are too much too reliant on, on one player, which doesn't work. It doesn't work at PSG for a large extent with, with Neymar. Um it's not working with Ronaldo. So yeah, Delict seems ideal as as somebody to build the team around. You know, they've mm. got a decent young team there. Chiesa, like you say, McKenny mm. I'm a big fan of. Um, and Delict, it's it's a good spine they've got there. So um, yeah, I, I would expect big things from him. Sort of similar to Barcelona in a sense. Obviously, they don't have the financial crisis that uh, that Barcelona have, but in terms of you know sort of rebuilding on a set of really promising young players, it's um, it's a similar scenario really. Yeah, it is. It is, and and he's a really exciting player to watch and. Um, that attacking mentality from from when he was younger um, is really showing. Even as a defender, that like you say, that goal scoring record is is remarkable. Um, mm. So yeah, I'm I'm excited to see what the future brings for him. Yeah. So the the best of those four, um, you, you can argue, and I I think he's the best of those four, and that's Frankie De Jong. Um, eight goals, ten assists out of eighty games. Um, absolutely world class in my opinion. I mean Barca. Um, where sort of Van der Beek, Ziyech and, and De Ligt, their clubs have respectively sort of shown patience in them um, and they, they could be sort of using them sparingly to build them for the future. But Frankie de Jong, he was pretty much just leaned upon and, and sort of thrown into the, the, the thicker things from the beginning. And you can do that with the likes of de Jong because he's just world-class in my opinion. He's absolutely different gravy and, um, you know, the, the guy is just showing his talents and I think he's, you know, like I sort of mentioned with Barcelona where it's similar to Juventus, they're sort of building on this this crop of youth. Frankie de Jong mm. is a big part of, of their youth for the future. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think um, a big part of both Barcelona's and, and Holland's future, I would imagine. Mm. Um, he's, he's really got that, I hate the term DNA, but he's almost sort of bred for for that Barcelona style of play so mm. once Messi does start to leave you know it's going to be the likes of um, of De Jong who does who, who do step up to the mark he's he's such an exciting player to watch you know he's he's got that control of his game that that 
that sort of foresight to see all around him, that kind of Iniesta sort of mould almost yeah. um, that works really well for, for Barcelona. So, yeah, I would, uh, he's like you say, he's one of the best and if not the best of those four. Mm. And um, yeah, I'd definitely expect big things. For, yeah. Um, yeah. I hate to use the comparison, but considering they've played for more or less the same clubs, he does have something sort of Johan Cruyff about him. Uh, and, you know, it's, yeah, it's scary to see where, where he sort of goes in the future. But yeah, under the likes of um, Koeman at Barcelona and then with the likes of the, the sort of young talent that we've mentioned before in and around him, I think you can essentially build that team around De Jong. Um, and I don't think you go too far wrong with that, really. No, I'd agree. I'd agree. Definitely. I think um, he's really living up to his transfer fee, 75 million, I think it was. And, and he's really proven his worth. I think um, a rare bright spot in a difficult season for Barcelona. So, yeah, I've um, I've got high hopes for him. And for, for Holland as well as, you know, a wider national um, prospect, it's going to be an interesting few seasons for, for Holland and the national team, I would imagine. Mm, definitely. What interests me about the Netherlands is the fact that um, you've got so much talent in um, the sort of main areas, the, the, the areas that you could essentially call the spine. So if you've got Van Dijk, um, De Ligt, De Jong, um, but then you, it's strange, you, you're almost struggling to find an out-and-out striker. The only one that mm. really comes to mind is the one that's doing extremely well at Wolfsburg and we've talked about him before and it's Valt Weghorst and he's really the only one that out of all the sort of Dutch strikers that you can really say is um, is deserving of that number nine spot shall we say yeah yeah I mean bring back Dennis Bergkamp <laughs> it would be <laughs> yeah. yeah it's it'll be an interesting like I say it'll be an interesting few seasons to see what they can do with that mix of the, that, those ingredients really to see if mm. they can really turn it into something that'll um, you know they need to be competing mm. to Holland I think uh, it's been it's been far too long since they've been a real force for force of nature really so mm. yeah I'm, I'm excited they, they always play in an exciting way they always bring something to the you know something to the game and almost the, one of the first teams I always turn on you know if 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 they're playing, I'll, I'll watch a Holland game. So, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. The thing is, with Weghorst, with I think he can actually really um, flourish in that sort of role, being the, the you know, the only real recognised striker. And then you've got the likes of um, Depay and Bergwijn that can, you know, whip in some great crosses for, for Weghorst to sort of lap up. Um, I can really see that being a good fit and I can see... I can see them doing really well. Just, yeah, hope we don't face them too much in the Euros or, <laughs> or sort of going forward from here from an England perspective. Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't be ideal, would it? But then, you know, we spoke about Euro 96 and uh, look how mm. that turned out. So we'll uh, we'll look forward to playing them. We That's always true. seem to sort of up our game against um, the big sides and, and Holland are a big side, so they need mm. to be competing. Yeah, we'll see, we'll see. Right, Matt, um, I think that's everything for us. Um, thanks so much for coming on again, buddy, and I'll see you again very soon. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks very much, Simon. Thank you so much for listening to The Triple F. If you could please drop a like on our Facebook page, subscribe to the YouTube channel, 
and follow us on Twitter, that would be massively appreciated. Hope you're all keeping safe and thanks again for listening to the Triple F.